Hello and welcome to the second row. My name is Port Kelly and as always don't forget you can find me on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at the second row that is 2ND not the word second and th- don't forget this podcast is going out everywhere from Acast to Apple Podcasts from SoundCloud to Stitcher it's literally everywhere so don't forget to like share and subscribe. This week I'm joined by another legend of Connacht Rugby captain of the club for three years over 100 appearances Represented Ireland A. He was beloved by the fans so much he is in the Cock Clan Hall of Fame. That is Andrew Farley. Hi, Andrew. How are you? How are you getting on? How are the family in these very weird times we're in? Yeah, definitely. Um, we're in special times at the moment. Um, it's been quite interesting. It's been enjoyable in some ways and uh, a bit challenging in others. Uh, Australia's been very, very lucky in the way that they've handled it and the amount of cases we've had of COVID-19. Um, so we've had restrictions, but we haven't had a full lockdown. Um, the children have been home from schools. Three kids now, Ava nine, Sophia seven and Tom, who's four. Um, so we've been home homeschooling them as well as working full time from home. So that's the bit that's been challenging and a little bit interesting. Um, teaching them, I definitely know why they're called teachers now because you've got to actually teach. You can't just set out the work that they need to do and uh, for them to get it done. So that's been interesting at home. But we're just lucky that um, everyone's been safe around us and everyone we know overseas has been safe too and all their families are in good health. So that's the most important thing. How are you? Yeah, I've heard you've had some sunny weather. Is that right? Yeah, it's been gorgeous here. It's today's the first day of like the gray of a gray day we've had in ages because you know things are opening up again. So let's just make it gloomy. Yeah, I remember walking, just having to get out of the house and going down the prom, and it'd be gray, raining sideways. But you have to get out for some fresh air, so you just sort of lean into the wind and rain as you went down. Yeah, the, the prom's such a great walk. It's uh, isn't it? It's great for yeah. the mind. Uh, I think it was great that you and some Cock Row players did that big rugby run last week or two weeks ago. It's great that you're able to, ha- that connection was able to do some good. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Like, um, you never forget teammates and you never forget times, um, in the change room and any excuse to get back together again, uh, even though it was a tough run because Gavin Williams started at 9 p.m. in New Zealand. And I started at about 7, well, when he finished at about 7.35 or 7.40 here on a Saturday night uh, here in um, Brisbane. But it was great that we all got to catch up afterwards on the phone, Swifty and, and the guys. And we had a, Adrian Flavin who did 21Ks that day for different charities. So, um, no, it was good to catch up with them all. Um, we should catch up more often. And um, those memories are still pretty fresh once we get talking. I, I I bet, but like your your rugby career started at a very young age, playing with Marist from the age of ten. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. I actually started at club level around that age group too, GPS, which is my club here in Brisbane in Ashgrove, and then I started yeah at school at uh, in grade ten. I remember we used to play eight a.m. in the morning, no shoes, so you used to be bare feet until you're in grade six, which is eleven. So, um, no, that was good fun. And then obviously, yeah, it, went, it was like a primary and secondary school. So I went through until I was 17 years old at Maris College, Ashgrove. Yeah, that got you into the, the Australia schoolboys team and underage setup. Like, so it was a, yeah, you obviously showed some ability at a very young age. 
Yeah, well, very much like the the schools in Ireland, um, rugby is pretty much religion there. So as soon as I arrived and 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 learned to more about the game, obviously played it in the backyard with my brothers, watched a lot on television. But lucky enough, uh, it sort of got serious. That's when it all sort of started. When I was in grade. 12 so I was 17 years old when I got selected with the Australian schoolboys and we played England and New Zealand and that year and um, yeah there were some very famous names playing for both sides Johnny Wilkinson was playing for England amongst many others and Richie McCaw and a few others were playing Carl Heyman were playing for New Zealand uh, who else Jerry Collins so there was a lot of famous names coming through that age group so it was a fantastic experience uh, I, I bet how from that, you end up moving to Italy and Lacera, or Laquila, sorry. Yeah, so I was in uh, what they call as the Queensland um, Reds Rugby College. It was the academy for the Reds, and um, I'd played with uh, a young scrum class called uh, Johnny Grasso, who has an Italian background. He was over in Laquila playing, and they had a few injuries, and they said, um, we need a second rower, and I had a British passport, luckily, through my father, and while I was in the academy, they I met with all the coaches and, and the coordinators there and they said it would be a fantastic idea to go away for, I think it was about two and a half months. And um, I went over there, Mike Brewer, the ex-All Black and uh, Leinster coach, was the coach there at the time. So I ended up playing in a Heineken Cup there and um, the Italian competition. It wasn't the Super 10 there, there was more teams then. Well, it was a fantastic opportunity, obviously, to see Italy and see a different type of rugby and... Um, it obviously wasn't as professional as it was in Australia, but um, yeah, it was a fantastic experience that I wouldn't change for anything. And came home just after a short stint of a, about two and a half months there. Cause, yeah, like because you, st- your the start of your rugby career kind of coincided with the start of professionalism. Just a year or two later, you had a very privileged position to be able to kind of have a, that career. Yeah, obviously, yeah, very very lucky. Um, because I remember speaking with a couple of, uh, I, I was very lucky to be in that red squad. As soon as I finished school, when I was 18, I joined the Queensland red squad. And there was a lot of players that had obviously seen the amateur era and the professional era. And I remember them talking about um, how they had to work full time and then obviously train at night and train in the mornings and take time off work for travel. So I did have an appreciation of both times, but I knew that I was very lucky to be able to to play full time, see from such a young age. And that led you in a move to Swansea after you returned to Australia from Lakila to join the Reds again. How did that move come about? Because that's your stepping stone to Connacht. Yeah, I do have an interesting. Yeah, so I ended up coming back and playing Australian under 19s um, and Australian under 21s. I actually had a short stint in Otago for an MPC, which Australia is very good at. I was a young player and at the Reds at the time, there was still John Eels, Nathan Sharp, Mark Connors, Matt Cobain, a lot of internet, Garrick Morgan, a lot of international second rowers. Um, so they encouraged me to go to Otago to play an MPC, which was a great in, uh, education into rugby. Over there, so I only spent about two months over there for an NBC. I just uh, um, mainly played in their development squad over there, but uh, it was a fantastic time when the NBC was going really well. And Laurie Maines was the coach there, who was a very hard taskmaster. So it was part of my education. 
build-up that I had in my career. And then I came back from that. I think I played Australian 21s for a last time. And then I met with the coaches at Queensland. And John Conley, who was a former Wallaby coach and Queensland coach, was then coaching at Swansea. And he contacted myself and said, listen, I need a second rower for the up-and-coming season. I understand that, you know, you're a little bit blocked in Queensland uh, with uh, Johnny Eels and, and, and so forth, current Wallabies. Would you like to come over at the age of 21, play one season, then you can go back home? So being, um, you know, being used to traveling a little bit and having a British passport, which really helped um, with working overseas, I was able to travel over there for a season and had a really good season, mainly played all the games back then. That's when the Welsh Cup and the Welsh League was still around and, and the Celtic League. Um, and from playing against Connacht there and uh, actually playing against Matt Mostyn at Newport, who knew Connacht well, um, played quite well in those matches. And when I rang at the end of the season back to Queensland, I said, oh, do you think it's okay if I stay one more season? Um, because the Welsh provinces, the Welsh teams actually went to provinces that year, so it was a little bit messy towards the end of that season when they they formed the provinces as we know them now, yeah. um, or the franchises as they call them, and uh, the 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 Celtic League or the Pro Direct or the um, the Guinness, whatever it's called now, is um, now formed in that shape. So Michael Bradley gave me a call, and um, I spoke to Jerry Kelly, who was the CEO at that time, and. I said, yep, I'd definitely be interested in coming over. It was a very interesting time for Connacht because it was just after, obviously, the marching in, in Dublin and, and there was fear that the IRFU was going to uh, disband Connacht, which um, obviously they can see now wasn't the, the, <laughs> the right thought path to be on whatsoever and would have really tarnished the game, would have absolutely tarnished the game. Some of the people back then obviously didn't have a very open mind for the development of the game within the country, but you can see now that that's definitely not the case. So ended up playing a season with Michael Bradley um, at that time, and then, yeah, and then history signed another two, and then signed another two, and then, yeah, so that's how I got to Connacht eventually. It's mad going from a team that had its professionalism kind of taken away in the franchises to go to a team that literally just got its independence safety again. badge yeah yeah it's a, yeah, it's, yeah. it's an odd it's a mad situation it was because i sat down with lynn jones at the end of the season with swansea who was the neath coach at the time and he was going to take over the then called knee swansea ospreys and he actually offered me a contract at that time too to stay but the just the uncertainty of the league and uh, how it was all going to happen at the time I decided that uh, through Matt Moston and obviously talking to Eric Elwood and and um, talking to Jerry and talking to Michael that you know that Connacht had just been given this uh, new lease of life and that they were going to have a little bit more funding. I wouldn't say it was a, a a huge amount of funding, but a little bit more funding. And Michael was going to lead a new project and 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 obviously we talked through the project and I thought it was a good idea and I was still young and I thought why not? I've got nothing to lose and then. Obviously, uh, history is history now. That's it. And what were your first thoughts when you walked into the sports ground into Galway? Yeah, well, obviously, I'd been there before, so the dog track didn't shock me too much because I'd, I'd been there before. But um, obviously, it's a very different club now. There was no gym back then. We had a small room downstairs. Um, 
Uh, the stand was the no. The new stand was there, wasn't it? The dog track stand has yeah, been there for the, years. Yeah, yeah, it? yeah, yeah. What year did that come in? I'm not sure, but yeah, that was there I, when I arrived. But yeah, obviously it was a different scene, and I'd come on the back of all the um, turbulence and and disturbances of the the year before. So it was a really uh, a environment that I could relate to, being like. Uh, Australians consider themselves little as underdogs and, and, and an area to, to fight for. So we gelled really quickly and still probably one of the changing rooms I've been in for a long time. Like with just with culture and cohesion and everyone working together, it was, it was great. And you played primarily under Michael Bradley. What was he like as a coach? Is there any uh, little tidbits you could tell us about him? Uh, about Michael, um, <laughs> there's a lot of different stories, but uh, no, I enjoyed. It. I had a good relationship with Michael. Uh, he made me captain after my first season of being there, even though I was only 24 years old, maybe 24, if if not, just about to turn 25. So we had a very good player coach um, sort of relationship. Um, we had our challenges and our disagreements as normal, but that's part of the process. Um, but, um, no, no, we had a good run with Michael at the start. So no, it was good. And what changes did you see in Galway as you were there? Cause over that time, Connacht did get more popular. Yeah, definitely. Obviously the GAA is hugely popular in the West and, and rugby became a, a poor second. But with any sporting team, whether it's rugby, cricket or, 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 or football, it's, if, if you drive a winning culture, you'll bring the fans in the popularity and then the, the sponsorships follows. So. Connick was still very much in the amateur days, um, in certain aspects. But then there was obviously key changes along the time that um, brought more fans in and brought more people to the stadium. And, and, and that has to do with results as well. We had some really good uh, Challenge Cup runs where we were semi-final, quarterfinals. I remember one we travelled to Sale. I remember the travelling support over there too. But um, I think the, the Michael Bradley brought an element of obviously professionalism. And then there was Eric who was obviously in his uh, final years playing there and then went on to coaching. So he brought a lot of aspects, but um, also a few foreign players that brought in different sorts of obviously behaviours and, and uh, training techniques. That's really, really helps. And we always had a foundation of um, uh, Des Ryan, who was a very good strength and conditioning coach, who's now with Arsenal, and Kevin Craddock, who was there with him. So the base was there. It was always a little bit about funding too and obviously facilities, which really, really helped. So um, when the gym was finally built and obviously the, the field was redone, um, it brought a lot more professionalism to it. Yeah, no, the calf's just been growing year and year. What was it like watching them win the Pro 14 given the struggles you'd seen them go through before, previous years? Yeah, well, honestly, it was it was unbelievable. It was the the whole day. I was obviously thinking. I was with the team. I was obviously played a lot of my career with John Muldoon, um, who was the captain at the time, and 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 um, just all the obviously the hard times. I remember playing Munster in Athlone. It was raining sideways, and you know you're losing. I think we lost that night nine three or something like that and all, all really close matches where 
we were nearly there or, or there thereabouts. We just needed either, you know, a couple of, you know, a key moments in matches to take them out. And that season to see that group um, of players and coaches and the staff and obviously a lot of changed in the back office too um, with a new CEO and brought a different sort of element and, and a little bit more funding. It was fantastic to see uh, Connacht lift the, the, the trophy and, and the effort and the celebrations and for all the supporters that had been there, you know, through years and years of um, freezing cold weather and sideways rain and, and, and just with the occasional um, win to celebrate, um, it was great to see them go the whole way. Yeah, like it, sadly, there's been far too many years where Connacht weren't competing as much as every player one or two, but you still had your standout moments. Like playing against South Africa in two thousand seven must have been pretty special. Oh yeah, that was that was unbelievable. I remember that, and I always tell the story that we helped South Africa win the World Cup. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, but just um, obviously to have that caliber of match um, was another one of the the stepping stones along the way, which has created the Connacht that is now, the Connacht rugby that is now. Um, and just being some of the players that got to play that day would have never, ever have dreamt of playing an international team, let alone a, a World Cup winning side. Um, and just the buzz, as I said, for the town and, and for the supporters to have that quality of team and, and people there in the sports ground was just amazing. And, you know, we gave them a bit of a run for it for a while there. They only got away with us at the end. It was definitely not the unrespectable scoreline at the end. So, um, no, one of my fondest memories. I still have that jersey somewhere in a bag somewhere. I swapped my jersey. Oh, brilliant. I'd say that's never ever going to be given to anyone. No, exactly. <laughs> I've given a fair few away over my time, but I'll definitely keep that one. And it's engraved. Oh, well, it's embroidered at the bottom, Connacht uh, versus South Africa at the sports grounds. Yeah. And would you have any other, like, standout moments when you're in Connacht, like any some of those high, high points that, signify your time in Galway? I think there was a time, and excuse me, it was a few years ago that we beat Leinster for the first time at the sports ground. Um, I just remember I've got some images in my head and there's just some faces and there was the Ray Afisa, uh, I don't know, obviously you would remember Ray, he was an outstanding flanker. He, he was unbelievable in the game he had that day and just some of the young players too, like... Um, Ian Keithley and a few that have gone on to be obviously key players for Ireland and, and other provinces. So um, that's one of the standouts for me. I, I do remember a couple of close ones too, which I remember we lost 6-3 to Munster one night in the rain um, there, which was, was another tough one. I do remember also the two-legged Challenge Cup match against Harlequins, which you probably remember yourself, where yeah. um, Greenwood scored in the last couple of minutes just to put them past. They lost on the day but won on aggregate, if I remember correctly. But just a fantastic day uh, at the sports ground, even though the result didn't go our way. No, the, the, that kind of team, especially in the early 2000s, really did come so close in that Challenge Cup on a few occasions. Yeah, so close. And as I mentioned earlier, I remember going over to Sale. I, I can't remember if it was a quarterfinal or a semifinal and Shabal and the likes of that were playing uh, Qu Quato. 
Um, a lot of international, the two Argentinians, I think it was Lopez, um, who ended up playing at Toulon too, like amazing teams and some fantastic memories and, and just, um, obviously with our backs against the wall and, and coming out and just giving it our all. That's what I like the best about it. Yeah. You also got three caps for Ireland Day in 2007. What was that Irish camp experience like? Yeah, that was a, an amazing experience. It was a bit of a crossroads in my career at the time because um, I was coming off contract at the end of the season and I'd been contacted by the Waratahs to go back and play Super Rugby. And at the same time, uh, Eddie O'Sullivan um, had started to become a little bit of a fan of mine and... Um, yeah, and I had an honest conversation with Michael at, at one stage, Michael Bradley, to just say, listen, I'm, I'm thinking of going home and giving it a go back in Australia. Um, and he said, well, hold on a minute. Um, I think there's someone you need to talk to. So anyway, a couple of, oh, less than an hour later, Eddie O'Sullivan gave me a ring and said, listen, Andrew, I'm thinking of bringing you up into the Irish squad. So um, that sort of threw a massive spanner in the works and we had a few conversations and um, still had a bit of unfinished business as captain at Connacht too. So um, yeah, ended up joining the Irish squad for a few camps and ended up playing in a Churchill Cup where we played against New Zealand Maoris, um, England Saxons, I think, and Scotland was down in Exeter. Um, so that was a huge experience and a great privilege to represent Ireland. Um, there was a few changes after that of coach and a few different things. So then ended up didn't, but there's no regrets from that. It was a fantastic experience. Uh, I bet. And that was all time you are captain. How did that sit with you being captain in Connacht, especially after only one year there? Yeah, well, I was luckily to have the support of the players and that's the most important thing when you're captain. And, and when you're a captain, all great sides, they have many captains throughout. So I remember Darren Yap and, and Matt Moston at fullback and Eric was still at 10. Um, so we, we had some Bernard Jackman was there at hooker at the time. So we had some outstanding players within the team that really helped and supported me through those uh, initial stages. I've been captain previously in, in schools, teams and at underage level in Australia, but um, it was a fantastic honour and a great learning curve to just have those sort of guys around me assisting with the captaincy. But um, yeah, there was definitely tough times there and, and I built up a lot of resilience uh, during that time as captain there at Connacht because as we do speak about, there was a lot of matches that did just get away from us um, because of errors or lack of experience or just not having that uh, star power to have some sort of individual effort to win a match for us. So there was a lot of times there during my career as captain, as a player that I fell back on further in my career um, as uh, learning experiences. And as captain, because Connacht did have a high turnover of players at times, people only seeing for one or two and you being there for six, how do you deal with that? Yeah, obviously at the start it's very frustrating because um, there's no secrets that there's quite a few players from the Leinster and Munster, especially not really Ulster, that would come down for a few years, get some runs on the board and and obviously develop within Connacht and then Connacht would not have the ability financially or or um, 
success-wise to be able to attract them to stay within the province. So it became frustrating, but we had a good nucleus of the team then that was able to stay together, and um, we managed to get through those times. Um, but um, we did speak often about if we were able to keep a side together for more than two or three years, um, that's when success has really built or grown within a group. And sadly, your own time came to an end in Galway in 2009. You left a cult hero, really. Like when you came back as when Grenoble for the preseason, you entered into the Hall of Fame. Like you were genuinely loved in Galway. Um, yeah, I, 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 I love the people in Galway and I still have fond memories of it. And Lucy and myself will definitely go back one day and... It was a fantastic opportunity. Once I went to France, obviously it was about longevity of my career and a new opportunity and no one can stay obviously captain for a side for, for a really long time because if you're honest, people need a new voice and a new direction. So I just felt it was my time to leave Connacht then and, and I, I think it was time to turn the page and I turned over all the stones possible at Connacht but when I did come back uh, and it was always my plan and I was always in contact with Timmy to organise a pre-season match to be able to come back to the sports ground and um, yeah it was very emotional when the bus first arrived in Galway and um, seeing obviously all the the landmarks and hearing the people and and bumping into a lot of familiar faces when I went to the the stadium and just to see how it the club had developed even further was um, an amazing experience. You were successful when you landed in Grenoble, winning the Pro D2 and getting back into the top 14. That's right. I think it was a good opportunity for myself, as I spoke about before, is, you know, a fresh and new project. And it was a similar occasion where I met with the, the president over there and the coach, Fabrice Landreau, and they had a clear sort of vision on what project and what sort of team they wanted to build to get back into to, to top 14. And they said it was going to be a two-year process, and, and it was that. They were building a team, and we had some very good success there and happened to be made captain the, the my second year in France even though the, the language was still very much a, uh, a struggle then but um, I suppose the language of rugby and and obviously you develop a language of your own when you're playing on the field so we did have some great success and some fantastic memories and yeah finally got to uh, lift a trophy there in Grenoble and very very fond memories so yeah played I think I played a hundred and 50 or 60 games for Connacht and then I ended up playing uh, I think around 130 for Grenoble after that so um, they both got their money's worth I can tell you that now. <laughs> Look you got two tries for Connacht and four for Grenoble so you weren't just yeah. lost just cap numbers. <laughs> no 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 there's been a lot of teasing around that my stats aren't good for minutes played and tries scored but <laughs> I just have to go for the assist or I was the one pushing them over I can I can just rest my life on that and when your career in Grenoble finished you went into team management that's a different leap than most players because most players do go into coaching yeah definitely I, I I I did do a bit of coaching when I was in Ireland I coached out at Connemara um, and obviously did a little bit of coaching down at Galwegians when I had some time um, I enjoyed coaching and then once I was finished coming towards the end of my career in Grenoble I coached there 
uh, under 18s and they're under 23s over there. So I did enjoy coaching, but I just didn't see the longevity in it. I'd seen so many of my friends go into coaching, moving families around. Obviously, there's only a few coaches that last, you know, longer than three to five years in, in a province, even if they're, or in, in a club, even if they're successful. So I think in the back of my head, I thought that I'd like to stay around the game for a while, but I'd like to be in sort of more of a stable position. And um, I thought there would be more transferable skills if I went into the administrational side of the game. And I enjoyed that side of the game too. So, yeah, I was just, I had a year to go on my contract in Grenoble, but I was 34 going on 35 at the time. And as I just mentioned before, there was quite a bit of water to being under the bridge. My legs were, um, aren't as young as, they weren't as young as I, they used to be. And um, I met, well, had a very good relationship like I did with Michael Bradley with Fabrice Landreau at uh, Grenoble. And he said, listen, if you retire this year, would you become my team manager? I think there's a space and we work well together and I, I've got some plans to, you know, reorganise a few things at the club and I said that would be a fantastic opportunity. Um, obviously, some players struggle when they finish their career and it just happened that the president of the club at the time was a, a person called Eric Pillow who was very influential towards the end of my career as well. He owned a global engineering company. And when he heard I was retiring, he, he invited me for a coffee around the Christmas time of the year I was retiring. And he said, I'd like you to come and work also at the HR department, in my company in Grenoble. So I ended up working as a team manager and uh, in the <laughs> HR department at his company and I was doing projects around differentiation and management and leadership and creating empowering environments, all these things that uh, I'd been involved in over the years and I didn't sort of recognise until he gave me the opportunity to meet up with a fantastic lady called Frederick. Nita, who was the the global HR manager with his company. So I took a lot from what I learned working for his company, talking to senior management about obviously building teams and, 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 and resilient teams and from experience that I had in sport and then bringing both of them back to the club. So yeah. Yeah, so that's how I got into that. And then after two years of doing both jobs, the club got into a little bit of a problem again in Grenoble. And that's when Eric and, and the board or the executive committee said, why don't you come back as general manager of rugby operations? And I had two very successful years in that role until I decided with my family that I was going to move home to Australia. And we actually won the title again, uh, the Pro D2 title because we dropped back down and then I came back and we won it again and they went up to top 14 and I just felt it was a fitting time to retire from Grenoble and come back to Australia. Yeah, that's like, it's great to have that achievement on both sides of the field. And if you look at the situation we're in, we're in now, going for the more admin management role instead of the coaching seems to have been a, a much smarter decision for you anyway yeah yeah definitely for a personal decision for myself and i'd spoken to a few people around uh, you know around the game and i just felt it was a better and it definitely helped me in my new role now where i, I work in a recruitment and hr company and i manage a team of you know 12 uh recruiters and hr professionals that um, just that experience that i had working for the ex-president eric's company in hr and then also having that influence of a professional high-performance environment in sport 
has really given me a great balance and um, a great education in how you can use both sides, uh, sport as well as, um, you know, the, the real world, as I like to call it, um, into my new role at the moment. And do you, are you involved in rugby at all at the moment in Brisbane or are you just taking it easy and just focus on family and work? You know, I can't stay away from the game. So I do actually help out um, with, they're called C2K um, camps here. They're, they're a voluntary uh, organisation um, where ex-Queensland Reds players coach um, uh, position-specific skills to 14 to 17 year olds on a Sunday morning and we do three blocks of three throughout the year it's all voluntary and um, we coach as I said uh, position specific skills to young kids there's a qualifying uh, procedure for them to come along it's all free um, it's all paid for by sponsors and we give up our time free also and I obviously coach with the likes of Mark Connors and Todd Kefu and George Smith all these all these names where we, we, it was an area where I could give back to the game and the education of rugby that I learned at a young age at grassroots through Queensland where we teach back rowers and second rowers specific skills. And if there's any second row or back row listening today, what would, be, what would your be a, your key work cons for them to kind of take in this time where they actually have um, so much time to train and practice? Is there anything they could do on their own or any areas they should focus on? Um, obviously, there's so many different aspects of the game now and uh, a second rower is not a second rower as it used to be. You need to have the whole spectrum, the 360 of skill base, the old days where there was the one big tractor who used to barrel everyone over and then there was the draft that used to just order line out around and, and run around and make a few tackles and hit a few rucks. I do believe that the second row has become an extension of the back row. So I definitely suggest that if you're a young second rower now, go and do skills and drills with the back rowers. If you're, um, you know, obviously within playing systems now, you need to be able to pass and catch efficiently. So go and work with the inside backs with your passing and catching. And then also too, a big part of the game now with kickoffs and, and obviously 22 receipts and they're such an important part of the game. You go to the fullbacks, work with them. So it's all about obviously keeping a broader spectrum of skills as you can possibly have, but as well as focusing heavily on your set piece, which is is, is always important. Yeah, it's mad because I think there was a stat that in the top 14, Pro 14 and Premiership, second rollers are the second or third most valuable players in a squad. They're just such good utility players and they yeah. just need to be able to do I wish that now. was I wish that was the I wish that was the case about 7 years ago <laughs> then they could have yeah but um no but um yeah it's so true um and also to the bigger guys they don't always have that skill set or that coordination so I was very lucky and and we won't go into it in too much depth now but I think that um at a young age, two parents and coaches and schools are pushing kids into one sport too early. I think a big advantage that I had when I was growing up was that we did cricket and swimming in the first term and then we did rugby and in second and, and a bit of third term and then we did basketball and volleyball and athletics and we did everything. And then when we came out of school, um, we weren't on these really heavy programs every morning and every night. We were still able to 
you know, we did focalise on rugby a bit further, but it wasn't as full on and intense as it is now. So all those skills you learn from playing different sports definitely, I think, benefited myself. And even swimming with uh, learning how to train and obviously training early mornings and having discipline and all that sort of stuff, I think was really, really important and really helped out in later life too without the longevity of my career, without being burnt out. You know, without having just been focused on rugby for so long. Oh, completely. For me, it just seems a no-brainer to have someone who can play a few sports because that helps on their decision-making, their hand-eye coordination. Like, there's so many different levels to what it can bring to a player. 100%. I, I couldn't agree more. And if there's any parents out there, and I can see it sometimes now that I've got young kids that think it's a good idea to get them personal training at such a young age and all this. Just just let them have fun, play different sports because that's when you pick up the other different skills about catching and passing, as you said, eye coordination, awareness of space, all that sort of stuff. And then once they develop into their careers and they decide which sporting avenue they'd like to go down, then you can focus back on it. But don't try and push or isolate them into one sort of area. Yeah, no, I get you completely. You've talked about so many players while we've been chatting. Is there anyone that you've really enjoyed playing with? You don't like, is there anything they've brought that you've kind of gone, yes, this guy, um, if you had to play one game again, who would you have with you on your team? Um, There's a couple of guys that stand out and I'll just think like probably the... Probably the guy that amazed me the most most recently was Gio Aplon. I uh, used to play for the Stormers and um, Gio would be not even 80 kilos. He'd be, he's thin and tiny, but he was one of the most courageous, uh, skillful, uh, powerful players that I've ever seen play the game. And I don't know why he wasn't a Springboks more than he was. And I think he's still playing in Japan to today, but... Some of the things he, I saw him do on the field um, was uh, outstanding, exceptional. Like, uh, yeah, just some crazy. But then there's also players that I have a lot of respect for in the sense of uh, John Muldoon, for an example, who um, won club, um, obviously in the early days, uh, had some very difficult and some learning uh, experiences about obviously close games as we spoke about but stuck it out and became an unbelievable player and I, I think he should have played more for Ireland um, than he did but um, there's standout players like that in a way that they don't um, they don't do highlights reels but every week week in week out you can count on them as players. And over your years, you've played against other guys. Is there anyone that you kind of went, I'm going to enjoy having a tussle with this guy. I can't wait to get on the pitch and get at them. Yeah, Grucock was one. I remember when we played Bath over in the rec, that was uh, an interesting match over there. Um, Shabal in that match against Sale, that, you know, I remember one time in that game where I was sort of out in the backs and. He was well, defending out towards the wall and I, I saw that he got the ball and I said, oh, here, I'm just going to try and absolutely smash him. And, <laughs> and I, remember, I remember running up with all the good intentions in the world and I remember just bawling. I remember my leg and I just remember falling back and going, oh, no, I've totally embarrassed myself here. I've just 
absolutely smashed my leg and thank goodness I lifted my head and he was lying on the ground in front of me too. So I didn't time that too well, but I didn't embarrass myself either. But there was obviously the provincial clashes too where I always thought that I had a personal battle with Paul O'Connell and Donica O'Callaghan and Malcolm O'Kelly and 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 like the the second row quality in Ireland at that time um, was was unbelievable. Leo Cullen, who's obviously the Leinster coach now. If you go through the second rowers that were playing in Ireland at, at that time, um, it was unbelievable. They even had the ex Wallaby Justin Harrison up in Ulster and 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 you know the quality that was floating around in the second row in Ireland those uh, those inter provincial matches were were always a massive challenge for me i bet everyone everyone always goes back to those inter pros that they just have that special bite in them i i know andy friend goes and many coaches that kind of had go like why can't you play like that every week there's an inter pro every yeah. week <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's the same in every country because even here, like the Reds have obviously had a couple of thin seasons over the last couple of seasons, but whenever they play New South Wales, which is our, you know, our enemy, like they, they always play an amazing game and they always play out of their skin. And why can't you find that same sort of uh, attitude and enthusiasm and energy when you're playing against other sides? But I suppose that's a special of any sort of derby or derby and uh, in any sport, in any country, it just rises you to another level. Oh, it definitely does. And Galway, I think, as a town, they ha- we have that chip on our shoulder that we just love to beat the big guys. That's right. That's right. I think I spoke about it earlier that there was one of the things that drew, drew me to Connacht and also kept me there for so long is that sort of underdog tag, which... They've sh- they've shake they've shaken off their back now, but um, back then it was really yeah. Let's like these give these. We used to love it. Oh, we can't wait until they come to Galway. We're going to absolutely beat them, you know. So there was always that sort of feeling in the back of our minds that we were pretty much always the underdog, and um, yeah, we loved that sort of tag. Definitely, Andrew. That's everything for me. That you've been. It's been a pleasure to chat to you because I. You are a legend of Connacht rugby, and you've been, you're loved around the province. And it's great to hear that you're doing so well in Australia. No problem. It's good to hear that you guys haven't forgotten about me because I definitely haven't forgotten about you guys. And I can't wait to to see my next game whenever that is in in Galway. When I uh, yeah promised the kids that I'd uh, get over there. I just read a book actually called The Ruin by, um, uh, what's her first name, McTierney. I forget her first Dur- name. Her Dur- name's McTierney. Yeah, fantastic book. And just reading, and I'm, I'm reading the book, and oh, they're talking about the Skeff and Air Square and Saltill and, and everything like that. So I only just finished it a couple of nights ago. So um, it was fantastic, fantastic read. Uh, yeah, I'll have to give it a pick it up now myself. But no, very much fond memories of, of Connacht and Galway and, and I definitely enjoyed my time and I'll definitely be back. So appreciate you taking the time to organise this with and I'd just like to wish Connacht obviously the best of luck for the end of season. If it if it happens, has it been cancelled yet? What's the what's the It has been cancelled yet. The Pro fourteen wanna finish this season off if they can at all, so who yes. knows? Okay. 
Okay, and best of luck for the next season. And then, obviously, it's a crucial time. Obviously, Andy Friend's been doing some great things there and obviously signing new players and keeping new talent in the province. And I'd like to obviously say hello to a good friend of mine, Tim Allnut, too, who's still obviously manager there at the province, uh, yeah, as he I is, do. Yeah. And yeah, so say hello to Timmy and, and everyone else there that, um, you know, obviously I cross paths with. Um, yeah, as I said, I've got very fond memories of, of Galway and my time with uh, Connacht. And we have like a, a hugely fond memories of your time in Connacht as well. Great. Perfect. Thanks again, Andrew, for coming on. That was a great chat. Loved hearing from you. And you're not far from the minds of the folk in Connacht whatsoever. That's me for this week. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to the podcast. Follow me on social media. And I'll be talking to you again next week. So until then, stay safe. <laughs>